Good morning, everybody. So good to see you. Welcome to Pleasant Street. My name is Steve. Uh, I just have a few announcements this morning. I'd like to welcome Pastor Mike Sullivan to preach uh, the word this morning. Matthew's away in Maine helping out another church right now. Uh, so <clears throat> just, just two announcements real quick. Uh, we have a potluck gathering coming up. That's going to be October 29th, and this is to welcome new, new, new members. Um, and this is open to everybody. So that's the 29th after the service. Um, and we also, this is our last service afterwards that we're going to be collecting for the crop walk, uh, hunger walk. So there'll be a table set up uh, right outside over here. So this is the last day. So with that, would you please rise and body your spirit. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 106. Praise the Lord. Who can proclaim the mighty acts of the Lord or fully declare his praise? Blessed are those who act justly, who always do the right thing. Remember me, Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come to my aid when you save them. That I may enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones. That I may share in the joy of your nation. Enjoy your inheritance and giving praise. Let all the people say amen. Praise the Lord.
Let's confess to God now. God of mercy in our impatience for answers, we sometimes turn to idols of our own making and forget of our covenant with you. Pleased at the invitation to your banquet, we fail to arrive with humility and thanksgiving. Forgive us when our faith is weak and our zeal too strong. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's take a moment in a silent confession. Friends, do not worry. The Lord is near. God hears our prayers with compassion and with abundant, steadfast love. Rejoice, for in the name of Jesus Christ we are forgiven. I'd like to invite the deacons to come up now for our morning offering. So we have been showcasing during our offering time um, videos from missionaries. So we're going to have a video that's going to come up in a a little bit, and this is from Refrain Ministries. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful, thankful for everything that you've given us. Lord, I pray for your church this morning, whether it's here or whether it's in China or in other countries and states all across the world. Lord, I pray for Refrain Ministries. 
We just thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can play the video. I'm Phoebe. I'm now in Shandong province, China. I'm so glad to join you all in such a special way. This is my eighth year in Chinese Department of Referee Ministry. I've been so blessed to experience and witness the transformation of new media ministry in China. In 2020, two events were significant to us. One was the discovery and explosion of COVID-19 in China at the beginning of the year, and the other was the U.S. election at the end of the year. In response to the two events from a Christian view, we published a series of articles that gained a lot of attention. However, since then, Internet policies have become strict and online comments are controlled. In 2021, numerous WeChat public accounts were blocked one after another, and ours was one of them. We seem to have lost the main battlefield and were facing a situation where the ministry had to switch tracks. But it was during this year of uncertainty that our ministry, as well as my personal life, took a major turn. In terms of ministry, we compiled some of our previous articles into books. There were also opportunities to invite more authors to write some new books. In the meantime, our team has been found to have a great advantage in book publishing. Our ministry began to transition from new media focused to publishing focused. In my personal life, I had the birth of my first child Later, I translated the book Raising Motherhood, which had a huge impact on my life as a new mom. Due to the change of ministry focus, I started to learn book marketing based on our previous new media operation. At the same time, I began participating in book editing. It was challenging as well as exciting. One of the recent projects I've been involved in was the development of the Book Ray app. Half a year ago, it was only an idea, and now the Android version is in use. With each regular meeting, we just watch the work gradually move forward and see how God wonderfully gave us blessings and sufficient grace. Things just come together. Just as I became a new mom during the epidemic, in a time when everything around me is changing and developing rapidly, every change is accompanied by pains and requires time to think and to adapt. And more than anything, wisdom, courage, and determination. At the same time, every job is challenging which keeps us always learning new things and keeps us always enthusiastic and passionate. God has given me extraordinary grace in my non-professional field. I can see that God is willing to use every little one like me in his kingdom to make a difference. I'm so grateful for your support of our ministry, whether it be money or intercession. You do make changes.
Friends, would you rise in body or spirit? Blessed is your Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Oh, 
Friends, Jesus offers us a peace, and we get the chance now in church to, to pass that peace with each other. So friends, the peace of Christ is with you. All the Kid Street kids come up here. People of God, what is our prayer? Peace to love and serve Jesus. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My, my name is Tony Brookhouse. I'm one of the elders here, and I'm, uh, it's my privilege to lead us in prayer this morning. Will you bow your heads with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we come to your house this morning to worship you with this community of believers in peace and harmony. We sometimes take for granted, Lord, how good we have it here in our country. We are reminded of that this week as we watch yet another war break out. Please be with all the people in the Middle East caught up in this. We pray you come alongside all those that are grieving loss and are worried about the future. We know, Lord, that you're in control even when the world looks to be lost. We pray for Pastor Mike this morning as he delivers your message. We also pray for Emmaus City Church. We pray, Lord, that you bless this ministry and all the programs it has going on to reach the people of Worcester. We also ask, Lord, that you guide and support our faith promise this year. Specifically, be with Jerry An and his ministry in China. We pray for the Martika family as they grieve the loss of a grandmother. We also pray for Betsy Ryder this morning with recent knee surgery. And we rejoice that, God willing, Will Banning will celebrate his 90th birthday on Friday. We give thanks, Lord, for all the volunteers we have here at Pleasant Street as well, including Maggie Creaser, who will be stepping down after years of working with our helping hands. Lord, we ask you to be with Pastor Matthew as he installs a new pastor at the River of Life CRC in Maine today. Now, Lord, as we turn our hearts to your word, Bless Pastor Mike and all those that are involved with the worship here today. We pray this in your name alone. Amen. Good morning. 
like to read our scripture this morning from Galatians, um, Galatians 1, 1 through 4, then 2, 1 and 2, and Galatians 2, 7 and 9. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters to me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God and our God and Father. Then Galatians 2, 1 and 2. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. This is Paul speaking. Uh, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation, and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. And then Galatians 2, 7 through 9. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me, and they agreed we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, one more good morning for you all. It's good to be with you, Pleasant Street. Uh, title of the message this morning is Run with Guts. And maybe as Sue was reading, you captured some of Paul's sense of something stirring inside him in the midst of a situation that was early on in his ministry, one that required courage, one that required guts. And he mentions this phrase about this race he's been running, whether it's been in vain or not. And so this morning, as I see you all, I want you to consider what do you think of or what do you manage or imagine when you hear the word rut? A lot of times we might think, I'm stuck in a rut. There's a groove that's like a rut. In journeys that we're on, oftentimes we don't necessarily want to encounter a rut. Well, I'm going to show you an image, and I want you to take a look at it. But when I think of a rut now, I think of this image that includes, and you can pull it up on the screen, a race. This is the rut. You say, well, what do you mean, Sully? Well, the rut is a race in Montana that is 31 miles long and elevates 10,000 feet. So it's more than a marathon. And people run it every year, the rut. In fact, people look forward to running it every year. And I even know some people that run it, God bless them. Went out a few years ago to Montana and actually met up with a couple of friends who had just run it three days before, and they were still standing. Some of us might think, there's no way after that I'd be alive. But in light of the visual of the rut, and the title of our sermon being, To Run With Guts, 
I want to ask you a question, and we're going to pull this question up on the screen. What is it like to run a ruddy, gutsy, and potentially godly race of life with freedom? I'll ask that one more time. What is it like to run a ruddy, gutsy, and potentially godly race of life with freedom? Because here's the thing with running with guts. If we're going to think of this life with Jesus, in a lot of ways, it probably looks like the image we just looked at in terms of the race of the rut. We might think, man, that is a high elevation. We might think, man, that's got a lot of rocks. We might think, man, I'm not in shape for that. Some of you, when you looked at that image, you looked at, that inspires me. Some of you looked at it and you said, that intimidates me. Some of you looked at it and you said, that excites me. And some of you looked at it and you said, that exhausts me. Some of you looked at that and you hear this question, you think, that makes me wonder. And some of you think, that makes me worry or weary. But here's the beautiful thing, Pleasant Street Church, no matter what age you are, no matter where you're at in life, no matter what rut you're in, yes, there's a race, and yes, it's a run that requires guts, but you know what? We have a God who's with us in the rut to give us the guts we need by grace to keep going. And that's why we come to Galatians. That's why we're in this passage And so, one more time, look at that question. Think of it personally for you. And let's also consider how Paul was in the midst of it as well. So you can take the question down off the screen. So this ruddy, gutsy, potentially godly race was something that Paul was in in this moment. That's why we touched on different parts of Galatians, because More than likely, this is the first or one of the first New Testament letters. So this is only a couple of decades after Jesus has risen from the dead. Which means also that Paul has his own reputation that in some ways he's still trying to overcome. The rut of Paul's life is that he was a terrorist to those that followed Jesus. He was the one that came after them to hunt them down. But on his road, he hit a rut. He fell off his horse. He saw Jesus and he said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul heard that in his Jewish name, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And so Saul, Paul needed that rut to know he was running a race with guts, but it was with God and was with grace, and it was one that would actually keep him going on a better route. See, what's intriguing is, is as Sue read verse 1, we can look at this as an introduction, but it says, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. I wasn't appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. If Paul had stuck in the rut of what he had done to persecute Jesus, if Paul had stuck in the rut of all the ways that he had seen life wrong, if Paul had stuck in the rut, even when he was struck blind, then he wouldn't have the guts to keep running this race. But Paul doesn't introduce this letter 
with all the things that he's done or he hasn't done, he introduces this letter by the one who's appointed him. And so this morning, if you're in a place in which you think you're forgotten, if you're in a place in which you think God can't use me anymore because I'm more wearied or worried than wondering about what's next, if you're in a place in which intimidation is more than inspiration, God can still meet you on that road. God can still say, but I've called you, I've appointed you, and that's where you say your story is right now. I'm appointed in this place, in this moment right now to run with guts because I have a God who's running with me. I have a God who's not forgotten me. I have a God who's in this track, no matter how deep it is or how slow I'm going. So we could ask, well, who's running this race with Paul? Well, God is. And it's a God that takes those that bring violence to people and brings a victory that not only stops them in their tracks, keeps them from continuing to do violent things, but also to be peacemakers rather than peacetakers. If we believe this gospel story that it is a run with guts, then we have to believe in a gutsy God that's willing to meet anybody on their road and transform them right where they are, no matter the circumstances. And again, asking you the question, what is it like to run this ruddy, gutsy, and potentially godly race of life with freedom? Some of us might be thinking, well, I'm not experiencing a lot of that freedom right now. That's okay, because a walk with Jesus is one in which, if you're not dusty, you might not be following this rabbi's sandals. It's going to be a dusty road. It's going to be, in some ways, a desert road. The Holy Spirit to prepare Jesus for the moment in which he would defeat evil and hell and death. Right after his baptism, he's flung into the desert for 40 days to showcase that God, even in a place of weakness and fasting, can still overcome evil with evil's greatest temptations. This dusty road with God is a gutsy one. But it's one that we get to be gutsy enough to walk, not simply heady enough to just reflect on. And so if you've got the bruises, if you've got the blood, if you've got the sweat and the tears of this journey with Jesus that makes you wonder, makes you question, but you're still walking forward in the rut, then praise God, he's with you. And he's for you. In the write-up to try to introduce the message for this morning that some of y'all received on an email this Friday, it said, so many times in life, we think we're ready to start a run or make a run again, but the wind gets kicked right out of us. And then we can barely crawl. We feel trapped more in the ruts of this race of life and wonder if we have the guts to keep going and this is when Jesus is right there alongside us. See, the guts of our God is to meet us right in the place we're running, even if it looks like a tomb. One of the places that we look at and experience the gut-level response to life in Jesus is when he's in front of Lazarus' tomb. And in that moment, we might have looked at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' life and would say, they're stuck in a rut and they're not getting out of this one. 
They thought they could climb the mountain, but now they're crushed by the weight. And in that moment, it says that in the midst of Jesus' response to the death, in the midst of Jesus' response to the sorrow, something welled up inside of him from his guts. It was a cry of tears. It was a cry of overcoming anger against evil and death that would hurt his friends. And he called out the name, Lazarus, come forth. This morning, whoever you are, whether you believe in Jesus or, or maybe you've walked with him for decades and it's getting really hard, Jesus can see you if you're in a tomb right now. And in his guts, he's not only there with you saying, I'm in this race, it's not over yet, but he's calling your name and saying, come to me. That's the gut level reaction of the God we're talking about this morning. That's the gut level reaction that would send Paul, somebody who violently terrorized people to then go trust that God had called him and to love them and to see Jews and Gentiles and say, look, if God can meet me on my road in my race and transform me to be loving to you all, you as people from social and ethnic and religious and cultural backgrounds can come together under this resurrection because we've got a road to walk together. That's what he's saying to this people in the southern region of Turkey that we would see as modern-day Galatia. Across towns, in rural areas, just like Northbridge, just like Whitensville, where people have a history, and Paul is saying, but God's continuing to write a new history, and it's written in the name of Jesus. We're just saying, blessed be your name. We cried out, when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. The name we bless is the name of Jesus, which means the Lord is salvation. The name we bless is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's God with us when we're found in the desert place. That's God with us when we walk through the wilderness. That's God with us on the road marked with suffering. That's God with us, though there's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. Because in this run with guts, in this ruddy race, we have a God who's with us, and we can say, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. This is my story. This is my song. That kind of cry of praise that we did this morning, Pleasant Street, is a cry of resistance against the things that could keep us in the rut. Blessed be your name, and in that name I have blessed assurance to keep taking a step forward. But don't hear me wrong, Pleasant Street Church. This isn't about you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. This isn't beating into the Protestant work ethic. No, no, no. This run with guts is not only a run with God, it's a run with a gracious God. You're gonna hit a point where you cannot carry yourself. And when we looked at that image of the rut, I want you to notice it wasn't one person running up that mountain. It was a trail of people. And in a race like that, as much as yes, there will be somebody who finishes first, there are times there's a warning in that race. And God's even given us a warning for our races. It's not going to be easy. We've got to bear the cross just like our Savior did. It is one marked with suffering because in a lot of times when we're not overcome by the suffering, the world looks in and says, who's carrying them? 
And in the rut, when people run up that mountain, there are times in which boulders slip and rocks break the skin of those running. And there is blood on the trail. And in those moments, there are runners that instead of just looking about where they want to get to next, they're running with the people who they're with and they stop and they help them. And they cry out for help like the person on the road that the Good Samaritan saw the person nearly at death stopped and brought healing. See, this is a run with grace. And that's why after Paul talks about who appointed him, uh, it's the God that resurrects. I couldn't have run this race. I wouldn't love you throughout the region of the Galatians unless this was a resurrecting God. He also says, may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. For all those that would have questioned, well, why in the world would this God give Saul, who we know as Paul, grace and peace with all the things that he used to do to the people that follow Jesus? How can he even have it? But he's got so much of it, he's willing to give it to us, even in the midst of our mess. How does Paul say this? Well, verse 4 says, Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live and then as Sue read in chapter 2, verse 1, he's talking about this journey that has got 14 years to it. And in those 14 years, he's made some friends. Barnabas, who's a Jewish man. Titus, who's a Gentile man. They came along, but also remember in verse 2, Paul says this letter is coming from all the brothers and sisters he's with. He's got plenty of people to say, we're running this gracious road together. But I want us to look at those 14 years that Paul's talking about because the letter to the Galatians is one in which Paul's trying to correct some things. They're getting tripped up in their race and instead of looking to Jesus and his resurrection, they're starting to look to a lot of other things that could separate them from each other. That could make it more about their ethnic or religious identity rather than their Jesus identity. And so Paul's in the midst of this ministry that God's called him to, and he's more than a decade in, and he begins to ask the question himself because God is a God that hears our questions. And he begins to say, in the midst of all this, I've been preaching, I've been seeing Jews and Gentiles come together under this gospel. I wanted to make sure that we're in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running this race for nothing. See, some of us here this morning, we might be teenagers. Maybe some of y'all, you want to be 14 years old. Some of you are 14 years old. Some of you aren't that far removed from 14 years old. Some of you in your mind think, I wish I was 14 years old. Some of you think when I look in the mirror, I look as young as 14 years old. And some of you are like, you know what, 14 years old, that's a bygone mystery I don't even think about anymore. But in the midst of all those ways we think about 14 years, when we commit to something for 14 years, we often expect fruit to be produced from it, right? Right? If we're going to invest our time, I mean, sometimes we look at our lives and we'll barely invest 14 days into something unless we get a result. But Paul's been investing 14 years and now he's wondering, is this in vain? All that investment. And it seems like everything's being pulled back. And so Paul is looking at his own gutsy, ruddy race and going, Jesus, you met me on that dusty road where I got knocked off my horse and I was blind and now I see, but all I'm seeing right now doesn't seem to be movement forward in light of your resurrection. It just seems like we're pulling back in fear. Because the Roman Empire doesn't want Jews and Gentiles coming together under a new religion. The only one that unites people in the Roman Empire is Caesar, is power, is the proclamation 
of a human system. And so I want to ask you this morning, what have you committed to 14 years of your life right now where you might have thought it was a waste because of where you're at? And some of you, you don't need to keep thinking of 14 years. You could think of decades. You could think of years. For those of you that, again, might be teenagers, you've been raised to follow Jesus, and in this moment you're questioning, is this really true? For some of you that are parents or guardians, you're watching your kids, and you vested all that time, and they're at a place where it's like, they're not following Jesus. What was all that for? Some of you right now, in terms of the life of the church, whether it might be this congregation or life of the church in general, so much investment, and it doesn't seem like we're living in light of the resurrection. It seems like we might be falling back. And those moments, in these moments right here, right now, we need to remember that we not only have a God who runs this race with us with guts that bowl up in him in the midst of our sorrow and the death that wants to swallow up and him saying, come forth to me, but he's a God that keeps giving grace even in these moments. He was giving grace to Paul to give grace and peace to these Galatians that he was about to go all in on and say, what are you all doing? Grace and peace to you, but what are you all doing? And right now, there might be ways in which your doubts have turned to denial with God maybe even deserting God a little bit. I'm not going to put my hope in that space anymore, God. I've hoped enough in you, I'm pulling back. Could be related to life, education, career, family, social work, neighborhood, church. You put a lot of value in those things. I hear you when I hear your sorrow. But again, if this is the God we follow, he's invested infinitely more than you in the midst of that place that you think you've invested. He not only values you, but he values those that he's still saying, keep giving them grace and peace. You're like, Pastor Sully, Pastor Mike, I don't have any grace and peace. Well, then maybe it's the time in your road to receive it again. Say, God, this hasn't been about my efforts This isn't about what I've done. This is about you. That's why Paul starts with the resurrection. God, I got this lineup of things that are just tombs and dead. And God's like, keep trusting me with the resurrection. But I'm like, Mary and Martha, if you you had just been here, this would have been different. What I love so much wouldn't be sitting in a tomb and four days in and probably rotting. And he's like, but I'm here. Trust me. This is not only a gutsy ruddy race in which I'm with you, it's one that's filled with grace. Jesus invites us when we can barely take a breath. When we think of a 31-mile run and a 10,000 elevation and we start to lose our breath just imagining it right now. He's like, stop, take a breath. He hasn't left us. He's still with us. His rugged, ruddy, gutsy rescue mission is still sure. Why? Because he's assuring us. He's the resurrected king who is still resurrecting us to run with him. No matter how long the road has been and no matter how long the road ahead is, Jesus promises to finish what he started in us and through us. See, if we're going to run with guts, we've got to run with grace. 
How many people are part of my Whitensville Christian School community that are here this morning? I see y'all. I smiled as y'all came in. For those that were at convocation this year, I was wearing this same t-shirt. For those that weren't there, this might be your first time to it, but my shirt says, nothing is far from God. You can only believe that if God is a gracious God. If he's not a gracious God, there are things he will keep his distance from. All right, well, you didn't measure up. You didn't do, do what I told you to do. You aren't listening. But no, if he's a gracious God, then nothing is far from God. And there's a key to this story, too, because it's about a woman who had her own rut to run through. She's a sister from Africa. Part of the ways that she could have looked at life and said, God, where are you? Were she had an abusive husband and an abusive mother-in-law. She was not valued by the person that committed his life to love her, as well as the family that came with him. Not only that, she had three children. Particularly her oldest was like, Ma, you're crazy. <laughs> I am not following this Jesus road with you. I'm going to do my own thing. I've got all the rest of life to consume and indulge in the things that are amazing to my senses. And so he went buck wild, traveled the different cities and towns, tried to fill up with all the things that he thought would satisfy him. But then in the midst of his ruddy and gutsy race, he said these words, our hearts are restless until they find the rest in you. See, the woman that said these words, nothing is far from God, is St. Monica, and one of her children's name is St. Augustine. St. Augustine has shaped a lot of our journey with Jesus in the past 1,500 years, whether you're Protestant or Catholic. This person that often we return to in his confessions is maybe the first like confessional memoir ever written in human history. I mean, this is a piece that even those that are literature buffs will go back to and say, for somebody to write personally like this, it didn't really exist in that time in the ancient world. And so he comes across as this person that has come to the end of himself and is willing to say, here are all the ways I didn't run this race with grace and I didn't think God was with me. But he had a mother who in the midst of the abuse she was experiencing, in the midst of her family falling apart, in the midst of a child that said, you are crazy, she trusted there was a God that was running with her and a God filled with grace. And so she said, nothing is far from God. And so we remember that statement as one who's come before us. And so if you need to receive grace again this morning, if you've been baptized, remember your baptism. We just sang about it in Death Was Arrested. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new. Now life begins with you. Sometimes we've got to remember our baptism decades later, whether it's a few years later, or 14 years later, 40 years later. We need to come back to our baptism and say, your grace is so free and it's washed over me. You've made me new. My life begins with you. But not only that, I love that turn in the chorus. It turns from personal to communal. It's your endless love pouring down on us. This journey, this run with God, this run with guts is not just about me. It's us. You have made us new. Now life begins with you. And so we run this race with guts that come from our gutsy God. We run this race with guts 
in the midst of the grace that meets us in the deepest recesses of our anguish and our anxiety and in the moments when we're running up that mountain, the mountain of Calvary, where we even know, Lord, I'm going to run this race and it's going to kill me, but I believe you're a resurrecting God. We also run this race with guts, with a group, to keep going. Again, verse 2 in chapter 1 said, All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. Paul wasn't doing this alone. Who knows the beautiful names of the brothers and sisters that also were looking at the region and saying, Paul, you got to write a letter to them. You got to know, you got to let them know that this grace. This wonderful grace is better than all the ways they could separate themselves from each other. This wonderful grace that is showcased in baptism in the Spirit, which is what Paul gets into in chapters 3 and 4 and 5, is greater than anything else they could hang on to to say, well, this identifies me and how I practice this religion. Paul's like, no, 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 look at the resurrection. Look at the one where we can say I am crucified with Christ. For it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's the one that says there's no more separation. There's no more degrees of class. We're all equal at the cross. We're saying together right now, there's neither Greek nor Jew, slave nor free, male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And we see that in baptism. See, we run this gutsy race with God, with grace, but we don't run it alone. We run it with a group. And it might not be a group we've chosen. It might be those that have had to give a desperate amount of grace to us, or we're desperately trying to give grace to them. But in this moment, Paul lists out not only Barnabas and Titus, he mentions James, Peter, and John, because there's a moment in which Paul's going to have to confront Peter, because Peter's going to pull away from table fellowship with Gentiles because of the fear of man and the fear of reputation of others. He's not going to step into that Jesus space with people that others are saying, ah, you get too close to them, it's going to mess up your walk with Jesus. Oh, you get too close to them, I think you might not be doing what God wants. And Paul says, I had to confront Peter to his face and say, you're denying the gospel when you do that. Table fellowship at this table is all those that walk with this God with grace, and we eat at that same table together, no matter our ethnicity, no matter our background or our story. Jesus meets us there, and we need to commune with him. That's the only way we're going to run this ruddy, gutsy race. It's going to be with a group that God calls together. And so I love that even in the midst of this moment, Paul is collecting for the Galatians because they're saying, well, I don't think Peter, will, he, he doesn't agree with Paul. Or what about James? Now, Paul mentions the followers of James. He doesn't mention that James said this, but some followers of James have come into the region of Galatia to be like, well, we think you need to practice Christianity this way. And a lot of it is related to the uncircumcised and circumcised that Sue talked about. But in this moment right here, in verse 9 of chapter 2, Paul says this, in fact, James, Peter, and John, who are known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews or work with the uncircumcised and the circumcised. See, the beautiful thing about this, and I just love this, is Paul could have been like, well, I'm just doing this thing on my own. I've been appointed by Christ. He met me on the road when I was a persecutor of the church. But he comes together with Peter, James, and John. And for those of you that love a little bit of biblical scholarship, you know what's amazing about this? This is 22 of the 27 books of the New Testament represented in agreement right here. 
So there's a beautiful moment in which we could get into the questions of the validity of Scripture, as well as like, did they really believe Jesus was the Son of God? What was Christianity? Was it really a unified thing? What's amazing is in this small moment of this gutsy and ruddy race that Paul's running with grace and with God, he talks about a group of people together that agreed just a couple of decades after Jesus resurrected that this is the gospel. So Luke worked with Paul. Luke's not representing this group, so Luke wrote Luke and Acts. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is. Matthew's not there, and Jude's not there. But every other letter is represented in Paul, Peter, James, and John, if we believe that the Gospel of Mark is a record of Peter's testimony that Mark recorded to share with people in that Roman region. Look at that. In the midst of the turmoil, in the midst of this moment that's full of conflict and potential confusion, it brings together people that gives us a glimpse of that moment in time to say, you know what? What unified them was the resurrection. Otherwise, we don't really have much of a New Testament. There's no pulling together of the canon so that we know the story of God now. But in this moment that involved a ruddy, gutsy race, instead of avoiding it, they pushed into it as a group. Pleasant Street Church, there are going to be moments that if we walk this road with Jesus, there's going to be conflict because we're in communities of sinful people that need a savior. But if we're going to see the glory of God, it's not to bail out of that group. And yes, I know there are moments of deep hurt and pain that involve abuse and danger, and so I'm not talking about moments in which we need protection. I'm simply talking about moments in which we're uncomfortable. Paul and Peter and James and John give us an example of moving into the discomfort despite the circumstances. And now because of it, we've got a book like this filled with the New Testament that shows us all the different ways that Jews and Gentiles are saying, Jesus is king, despite the ways we're still trying to wear our crowns. Jesus is king, despite all the ways that we wanted to bail in this race. They lived into the African proverb that maybe existed during Monica's time. I'm not sure, but if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. In the 21st century West, in all the ways that we want to jump out of discomfort, we often live into the first part of that proverb. No, no, I just want to go fast. And the African brothers and sisters would tell us, if you want to go fast, most likely you'll leave people in your dust and you'll go alone. But if you want to go far in this gutsy, ruddy race with God and with grace and with a group, then go slow and you'll go together. May the City Church will celebrate 10 years next year. Amen. Thank you, God. <laughs> I don't know how many years God will keep giving us, but man, the fact that he gave us a decade, wow. And it's been a ruddy and gutsy race. I continue to be humbled in good ways that confront me in my idolatry as well as in good ways that help me see Jesus on the road where I'm the one on the Emmaus Road. You all will get ready to welcome soon in November during a fall seminar, Bonnie Gatchel and also Shay Pugh. Shay's been a part of Emmaus City for a long time. And on November 17th, they'll be sharing with you all about Route 1 which is a ministry that Bonnie helped co-found that is for women that are often trafficked and exploited in clubs. 
Shay's been a part of that ministry now, I think for six years. She'll tell you herself when you see her in November. But if you were to ask about the fruit that we would see born in terms of sending people from Emmaus City Church as well as other congregations we get to partner with into the strip clubs of Worcester, what do we see? They'll be able to tell you about the darkness they see. They'll be able to tell you about young women trying to survive with their kids and thinking this is the only way they're going to make it. They'll be able to take about, talk to you about managers and DJs and bouncers that that's why they're there too. Some of them to exploit, some of them because they're in desperation. And in those moments... It can look like a rut in which it's like, God, is there any movement here? But I guarantee you when Bonnie and Shay come here, they'll be able to tell you some stories in which the light shone and the darkness could not overcome. And so for Emmaus City Church, could we look at, well, I don't know about this road. Maybe we should be investing our time and our resources elsewhere. But that's the road that God has invited us to be on in Worcester. And so that might not result in the things that the world counts, whether it's more budget, or more people in the congregation, but that's the road that Jesus has invited us to walk, to go on. And it's a walk with him, and it's a, a walk in which we need lots of grace, and we need lots of guts, and we need a group, because no woman goes into those clubs alone. In fact, when they form the chapter, you've got to pray for six months before you even take a first step into that club. Now, a lot of us will think of a, a place like that where exploitation and traffic is going, and we're like, well, of course you pray into six months into that next venture. But you know what, guys? There's an enemy seeking to devour us on all our roads. And in the next thing we seek to do with faith in God, do we actually understand the ruddy race we're on? Do we pray into that moment like the Route 1 team does, where it's like, you know what? We're not going to step in with our pride or our confidence or our experience. We're going to step in to this rut and this race with guts, with the God who we know we need grace from, and we're going to prepare for it. Sometimes I think we trip up on the race we're on because we don't understand the race we're on. We've grown up in the church. We've grown up with faith, and we just think, well, this is just what I do, but we don't understand that this is a battle this is darkness that wants to consume you, but you have light that you can shine in Jesus, who's the light of the world, who calls you the light of the world, that the darkness cannot overcome, but you've missed the darkness. If we understand the race we're on, then we'll be preparing to step into new ventures of faith as a congregation, into a school, into a neighborhood with that same sense of preparation that the people who run the rate, the rut, the, the run, the race, the rut in Montana. Nobody joins in to that group that's going 10,000 mile elevation and going for 31 miles saying, oh, I just thought of this this past week or I just thought of this this past month. I got this. No, you don't jump into a race like that thinking, I'm gonna do this just based on my own strength or what I think I'll need. You do this talking to other people. Well, you've run the rut. How'd you keep running? What happened when you got to mile 22 and all your breath was gone and your legs feel like jelly and you're about to climb up some boulders? What do you do there? Jesus has given us the communion of saints to do that. To say, not only in the New Testament, but among each other, what do you do when you get to that spot? How do you run that race? Because you know what? There's people that run the rut that have been doing it for decades. Some of us think, man, I'm 40 like me, 42, I don't think I run that race. And then you see a 52-year-old that says, I know, I thought that too, but 10 years ago I talked to somebody else and now I've run it a couple times. 
See, this is a ruddy, gutsy race with God that's full of grace that we need to do with a group. And it's the group that speaks prophetically through the Holy Spirit from the Word of God. It's also the group that can speak prophetically in these moments among those we walk with Jesus together. Could Paul have said, I'm doing my own thing? Could people that run the rut say, I'm doing my own thing? Sure. But they wouldn't be the vibrant testimony that we have today to say, this walk with Jesus is possible in the face of persecution and separation and division and the devil and death. There's still victory. This gospel is going to reach the ends of the earth because it hasn't stopped yet. Whether it was in what we see as modern Turkey even in the midst of an area right now in the Gaza Strip, we have brothers and sisters there right now that are being told to leave. Don't know where their home's going to be next. Wonder where the next missile's going to come from. And in that moment, even some of them are daring to say, the peace of Christ be with you when they look at their bloodied neighbor. Jesus is just as resurrected and alive in a place on earth that we experience today like that as he is here in Whitensville this morning. He's a gutsy ruddy, bloodied, victorious, resurrected king that's still saying to us, come forth on this race. I got more life for you ahead. See, Jesus finishes our race with us. God himself, his relentless grace. We're going to talk about a reckless love. We're going to sing about it in just a minute. And this group of people he gives us to run with, He's got so many gifts of endurance. But in those moments when we lose our breath, in those moments when we have bloodied legs, in those moments when people that we thought were going to run with us are not running anymore, and we just see a whole bunch of strangers around us, and we wonder, okay, God, I thought I was going to be running with these people, and now i got all these others that I don't really know, and it's really hard to trust again. And I'm wondering if I'm going to finish. I think I'd rather just stop now. And yet all these people are like, no, cloud of witnesses. Take another breath. The Holy Spirit's here. Keep going. Jesus wants to finish this race with us. And if you keep running with him, he'll keep you gutsy. Until that glorious day when he says, well done, you finished the race. You kept the faith. Take a breath and experience my glory. When we get to the end of the service... Whatever you've thought of in relationship to that question, what is it like to run this ruddy, gutsy, and potentially godly race of life with freedom? Or you imagine the image of the people running the rut. When you get that, and again, whether it's intimidation or inspiration, whether it's mess or mercy, whether it's wonder or weariness, whether it's energy or exhaustion, when we get to glorious day, here. Jesus saying to you personally, as you as the communion of saints, as you as the group that sings together, hear the words, and I ran out of that grave into that glorious day. When you called my name, whether you're a believer or not, Jesus is calling your name this morning. Wherever you're at on the race right now, no matter how deep the rut is or how much guts you need to take another step, Jesus is calling your name. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I encourage you, raise a hand in faith and say, and I'm going to run out of this grave. It's a race. It's a run with guts. But we have a God with us who's full of grace, and he's not left us alone. Let's pray.
Oh God, we need a deep breath. The person who's not yet a believer right now needs a deep breath of the Holy Spirit to hear their name and Jesus saying, come forth. For the single parent, Lord, that doesn't think they can make it, they need a deep breath, Lord. Holy Spirit, come. For the disciple of Jesus who's just getting started and people are criticizing them and making them question their faith, they need a deep breath, Lord. Holy Spirit, come. For Pleasant Street Church, God, that has served together whether decades or looking at their history of more than 100 years, Lord, they could lose their breath if they think of what's come before or what they think is ahead, but let them be present with you right now. They need a deep breath, Lord. Holy Spirit, come. For the person in their old age that wants to finish the race strong, but their mind and their body is breaking down, and they wonder if they can take another step in this race, Lord, they need a deep breath. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, may we not just sing these songs because they're part of the liturgy that are coming up next. But when we cry out to you, God, about your reckless love, may we receive it. And when we cry out to you, God, about this glorious day, may we hear our names and may we boldly say, it's not by my might nor by my strength, but by your spirit, God, I will come out of this grave. Holy Spirit, come. We need a breath, God. We need an echo of this gospel that was preached to the Galatians, and that's being preached today all around the world. Help us to have ears to hear. Help us to take a deep breath. and Help us to keep running. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to invite the kids up for echo dismissal. Students, if you're in grades three through five, not quite 14 years old, but getting there, come up to be dismissed. I want to invite the worship and song team to also come up. They're going to lead us in reckless love. Again, what is the prayer? People of God, what is our prayer? Almighty and loving God, thank you for the gift of your word. Echo students. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Friends, you can rise in body or spirit.
deserve it Still you give yourself away Of the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God me 
That song was already the benediction. Mercy. Uh, thank you, worship and song team, for singing that. Um, I didn't quite imagine or see or somehow didn't catch all the lyrics that summed up my sermon in a few minutes uh, that I need a breath from right now. So thank you all for singing that to each other and singing that to God and singing that over me. Um, yeah. What do we believe, Pleasant Street Church? What's the creed? Let's say it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Well, here's a blessing as well. In the midst of what we just said we believe, this is the Lord, and this is what he graciously blesses you with. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen. Yeah.
weight of your glory. I needed shelter. I was an orphan. But now you call me a citizen of heaven. I was broken. You were my healing. Now your love is here. Friends, go now to love and serve Jesus Christ. <laughs>